This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. We have three sermon texts this morning. The first is Exodus 20. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And then third, from Exodus thirty-one thirteen, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between you and me, and throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Thank you. This is God's word. Please be seated. Thank you, Dennis. Um, Not really sure what I think about you calling my wife wild and worldly, but um, my girl can dance, so that's all I've got to say about that. Well, if you do have your Bible, go ahead and open it, or you have your worship folder has the scripture texts there. You're going to be needing those this morning as we look at these passages together. And if I were to be able to choose a commandment of the 10 to preach on, this one would probably have been it. Uh, I didn't really actually get the choice, but when Damien asked me, uh, I thought, wow, what a privilege. This is going to be great. And the reason is because I find myself in a particularly stretched season of life which I'm sure most, if not all of you, are acquainted with yourself. And and in this season of life, I knew that I needed to instill a rhythm of rest into my work week. And so for the past eight months or so, I've been taking Saturday as my my day of rest. I've become pretty strict about it, too. Um, And as I was thinking about the margin in my schedule and where I was going to plan to prepare for this sermon, uh, I kept kind of comforting myself, well, at least I know I have Saturday. And, and then about halfway through the week, it dawned on me that I was planning to use my Sabbath day to work on a sermon about keeping the Sabbath day. And I figured, well, that's at, at best irony, at worst hypocrisy. And so uh, it, it was convicting. And, and as I read through the scriptures, um, I'll tell you, I actually was very strict and kind of regimented about how I was going to make it work so I didn't have to work on my Sabbath so I could speak with a clean conscience this morning. So I want to look at this passage because as, as I've become more of a, a stronger Sabbatarian, uh, I've seen the benefits in my own life. And, and so one of my goals for this morning is that I want to, I want to kind of display for you God's goodness in his command to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As medical doctor Matthew Sleeth says in his book about the medical benefits, uh, the health benefits of taking a Sabbath day, he says this, 
Describing the Sabbath is like describing ice cream to somebody. If somebody has never eaten ice cream, you can describe it all you want, but the proof is in the big spoonful of Cherry Garcia. And, and I think what, what he's saying there is, is that there's something about the Sabbath that has a sweetness to it, that unless you practice it, you, you probably don't really know what that's like. And so this morning, um, I want to see God's winsome goodness in prescribing the fourth commandment to us. I want, if you will, for my goal to be that you'd be willing to leave here and take a big spoonful of Sabbath for yourself uh, as a result of this morning. So to that end, we're going to look at, at three points regarding the Sabbath. I want you to see Sabbath as requirement. I want you to see the Sabbath as resistance. And I want you to see the Sabbath as rest. So we're going to see Sabbath as requirement, as resistance, and as rest. Let's look at the Sabbath as requirement. Now, by requirement, I don't necessarily mean whether or not the Sabbath is required. I believe it is. Um, But rather, I want to look at why did God make it a requirement? Um, I think we kind of get desensitized to it, but but the Sabbath day is actually kind of a, a weird command. Right? I mean, when you look at the rest of the commandments, they make sense. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, steal, lie, etc. But, but you look at this and you say, take one day out of every seven dedicated to work stoppage. You think that's kind of an unusual thing for God to command his people. But, but until we see the context, until we set the Ten Commandments in their proper context, which is Israel leaving Egypt in the Exodus, we're not really going to understand the, the gravity and the significance of what the Sabbath day was. And, and so many of you know the story that, that the Lord God had just powerfully delivered roughly two million people from captivity. And and most of you know the story from Exodus 5 where Moses goes to Pharaoh and says those famous words, let my people go. And Pharaoh responds like this. He says, Moses, why do you take the people away from their work? Go back to your burdens. You make the people rest from their burdens. And as a result, Pharaoh in his anger took away the straw that they needed to make the bricks and yet demanded the same amount of output despite the fact that he's made it significantly more strenuous. And and so what we see here is this people, Israel, who you have to imagine has been enslaved for 400 years where all of their worth, all of their value to the world was in their work. You imagine that, that your value is in your productivity. Your ability to work, your ability to produce determines your significance in this world. And, and you, have to, you have to get into the kind of the mindset and realize the psychological toll that would have on a society of people to realize that unless they can produce, unless they can work, unless they can be productive, they have no identity. They have no dignity. They have no value. And so Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says it like this, into this conflict, God steps in and delivers his people from the restless, anxiety-ridden world of Pharaoh. Now, if you would look at your Bibles or your worship folder with me, uh, you'll see there's three texts printed there. And and the reason why is because there's three different places where the, the Sabbath is commanded, And I think as we look at the the nuanced differences in these texts, we'll get a bigger picture as to why. Why did God make this a requirement? 
Look with me at Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, or for this reason, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So Exodus 20 frames it out like this. It says that the reminder here is that the Lord God is their creator. Israel was created by the God who just brought them out of Egypt. And and so what this is is that the, the Lord God determines their dignity. The Lord God is the one who made them, giving them his image, bearing his image, and that's where they derive their dignity from. And so essentially practicing the Sabbath was a time to remember that you're a human being and not a human doing. It was a time where we learned to imitate God's own rhythm of creative work and rest. If you would look at Deuteronomy 5.15 with me. It says this, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Now you see there's a a little difference here. In in Deuteronomy 5, the reminder is that the Lord your God is your redeemer. Exodus 20 said he's your creator. Deuteronomy 5 says he's your redeemer. And so the Israelites did not use their own hands or bear their own arms to get themselves to escape from Egypt, but rather they stood in awe while they watched the Lord with his mighty hand and his outstretched arm to deliver them. And so in Exodus 14, 14, it says this, they were told, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So Deuteronomy 5 is a celebration of God's work to give Israel rest from their work in Egypt. Now, finally, we'll look at Exodus 31, 13. And it says this, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, You shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So if you're tracking with this, Exodus 31 says that this is a reminder that the Lord their God is their sanctifier. The Israelites are God's chosen people. They belong to him. He has set them apart for himself. Exodus 31 essentially says that the Sabbath is a time to remember God's God's ubiquitous promise that I will be your God and you will be my people. And so you put these all together and you see that the point of the Sabbath is to remember that God is Israel's and ours creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. Now, as I was studying for this, I I called to mind the, the movie that Cinderella Man, if you've seen the movie. Russell Crowe plays a Depression-era boxer in this movie. And there's this particular scene, probably my favorite in the whole movie, where, where he comes home to find out that his son, his little boy, had stolen a piece of sausage from the local butcher. And so he takes his son, and they walk back, and there's this scene where he's giving the sausage back to the butcher, and he's apologizing. And, and they come out, and, and afterwards, the little boy confesses to his father that the reason he stole the meat was because he was afraid that he was gonna be sent away. See, it was Depression era, and he had a, the little boy had a friend whose parents sent him away because they couldn't feed him anymore. 
And he, out of fear, uh, felt the same thing, and so that's why he stole. And in this beautiful scene, Russell Crowe gets down on one knee, and he gets at his level, and he says to his son, no matter what happens, we do not steal, ever. Then he kneels down on his son's level, and he says this, and I promise you that I will never send you away. And to that, the little boy crumples into his dad's arms in tears. And it's this beautiful scene where they're reunited and it's, it's amazing. And, and the reason why I bring that up is because I think that's what the Sabbath was meant to be. It was meant to be a time of reflection where we hear our Redeemer's words, I will never send you away. You don't live in slavery anymore. Your worth is not defined by your work. Your productivity does not determine your place. You belong to me, and I will never send you back to slavery in Egypt. The Sabbath is like a deep breath. It's meant to be this time where we're able to be refreshed in who we are and how we are to live. And in the Westminster Larger Catechism, it says this. It says that the Sabbath, when we keep it, we're actually better off at keeping all the other commandments. And the reason I think this is is because the Sabbath is the, the one and only rhythmic habit-forming commandment of the ten. The Sabbath was meant to rehabituate and rehabilitate Israel, Yahweh's people, from their patterns of slavery to being and belonging to their God. And so in his brilliance, the Lord knows. He knows how to form an entire society to rest and reflect on who they are. And more importantly, on whose they are. And so I I want you to think, I want you to imagine, what would it look like to see a society of people that refuse to identify with their productivity and rather be identified as those who are created, redeemed, and sanctified as the people of God? What would the world think of such a community? Now, if Sabbath as a requirement is kind of about the the upward aspect, being identified with God by embracing his transformative rest, then the next point, Sabbath as resistance, is kind of the outward aspect, identifying with God by displaying his countercultural rest. One of my professors, John Frame, says this, of all the Ten Commandments, the fourth, this one, is the most visibly rejected in modern society. It reminded me of an article that I had read about Tom Brady, who if you know, he's the, the four-time Super Bowl championship quarterback for the New England Patriots. And, and this article is about Tom Brady's outrageous workout routine. And there was this, this quick story in there that I thought was insightful. It says this, when another player on Tom Brady's team showed up at 6.40 a.m. to lift weights, Brady said to him, good afternoon, So the next day he showed up at 6.30 a.m. and Brady said, good afternoon. Then 6.20, then 6.10, then 6 a.m. Good afternoon each time. Until finally the player said to him, whatever Tom, I'm not getting up any earlier. And I think what Tom Brady does is he's, he's kind of the epitome of our culture's praise of an incessant work ethic. Now, don't get me wrong, there's something impressive about this, and it is a means of achievement, but it creates a culture of constant pressure to be better, faster, stronger. And in his excellent book, Walter Brueggemann, uh, the book's entitled Sabbath as Resistance, Walter Brueggemann says this, 
Sabbath is an act of trusting resistance to the constant anxiety-fueling demand to produce more, accomplish more, and achieve more. The Sabbath is a form of countercultural resistance in at least three ways. It sets the proper rhythm, it states the proper rights, and it shows the proper ruler. I'm going to go through these. First, the Sabbath sets the proper rhythm. Now, the proper rhythm of the Sabbath is work six days, rest one day. Now, some of us are prone toward hyperactivity, and we need to hear the command, rest. And some of us are prone to laziness, and we need to hear the command, work. And, and so this is how we're called to, to this proper rhythm of work and rest through the Sabbath. Second, I think the Sabbath is countercultural in that it states the proper rights. Now, go ahead and grab your Bible or your worship folder again and look at Deuteronomy 5, verse 13. It says this, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. The Sabbath states the proper rights by saying whether you're white collar or blue collar, whether you're middle-aged or a child, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a foreigner or even your animals are, quote, allowed to rest as well as you. And so the Sabbath is countercultural because it proclaims a social equality. It says that regardless of class, age, race, gender, all people everywhere deserve a God-given day of rest. And so I want you to hear that Sabbath is rehumanizing. Because what it does is, is it says for ourselves and for our neighbor that you are not defined by your economic or social value. You have worth, you have dignity apart from what you can produce. And as we as a community practice the Sabbath, we are saying that to a world that needs to hear it. And lastly, we'll look third at the part how the Sabbath shows the proper ruler. Notice that in these texts that we've read, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of the Exodus, is the one who's the creator and the redeemer. He's the one who blessed the Sabbath, who made it holy, and who commanded it. And so by taking the Sabbath as an individual, as a family, or a community, we display to the watching world that success is not our ruler. That the expectations of others are not our ruler. That Wall Street is not our ruler. That not even ourselves, not even we are our ruler. We declare that God alone is our ruler when we take a Sabbath day. Now I remember when I was uh, younger, I had a friend whose family was committed to the Sabbath day. And so I was allowed to hang out with my friend, but I had to go to their house and my parents had to drop me off there. And whenever we'd go, they would be resting. They would be reading or eating together or enjoying kind of family rhythms together. And at the point, I mean, to be honest, as an adolescent boy, I thought it was really weird. But 
now that I look back, I think that actually had an effect on me. I remember seeing this family that practiced a Sabbath day. And so I think the significance that, that this has for us is that if you imagine your children seeing that despite our hectic lives, mom and dad gladly submit even their schedules to God. Theologian Peter Lightheart says this, Sabbath becomes a decisive, concrete, visible way of opting for and aligning with the God of rest. We actually love our neighbor by displaying an alternative to a world of frantic frenzy, one that shows our proper ruler is the God of rest. Now, very briefly, I want to kind of do a little sidebar here. And this is how or what does it even look like to actually practice the Sabbath? Now this, I'll be honest, it could be a little controversial. And, and so I'm just kind of saying this is my own study, this is my own life, this is what I've been doing. And for whatever is useful to you, I, I put it out there. But first off, I think across the board we need to realize that the Sabbath, it's not this day of austerity where we light candles and chant together. Right, And I think oftentimes we hear, keep the Sabbath holy, and we kind of get that feeling about it. We kind of get that sense that uh, this is rigorous and more intense, which is the very thing that it's supposed to be a rest from, right? And, and so I want you to hear that um, Sabbath was actually listed in Leviticus 23 among what are called the feasts of the Lord. These days, these weeks that were defined by festivity, they were defined by eating food together, they were defined by enjoying one another, enjoying God, enjoying creation, and resting from your work. It's in that context that the Bible sets the Sabbath day. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel says this about the Sabbath, fasting, mourning, and demonstrations of grief are forbidden on the Sabbath. And, and so there's this sense in which the Sabbath is not a day meant to be groveled in. And I want you to hear this, that the Sabbath is as much a gift as it is a command. The Sabbath is as much a God-given gift to us as it is a command for us. It's a day of reflection and rest, a day of inhale and exhale, a day where we pray and play, a day that's set aside to contemplate the work that God has been doing in our lives the work that he's doing in our family, the work that he's doing in our church, in our city. It's a day that's set aside to take a long walk, to enjoy something beautiful, to read a good book, to garden, to practice gratitude toward God, to eat with family and friends. It's a festive day. And so I think when Genesis 2 says that God blessed the Sabbath day, what I believe that means is that he made the Sabbath day a blessing to those who keep it. And so this is a day of rich blessing for us. But with all of that being said, anyone who's laid in bed at night with their thoughts swirling and, and an anxious heart knows that you can rest your body and not rest your soul. That, that if your body is relaxed, your soul can still be restless. And, and I think 5th century African bishop Augustine of Hippo says it the best. In his famous line, he says, Lord, you formed us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. 
And so in closing, I want to transition to Sabbath as rest. Now, we all know what it's like to be troubled by guilt, by shame, by regret. It doesn't matter how much you relax, these things, they won't allow you to rest. And I think if, if to be really honest, I think one of the reasons why many of us don't take a Sabbath, why many of us don't give ourselves a time to slow down is because we, in this flurry of activity, distract ourselves from thoughts, from questions, from things that actually kind of plague us. Things like, am I enough? Am I doing enough? Am I ever gonna be satisfied? Am I ever gonna arrive? If, if somebody saw me, who I really am, what would they think of me? Am I gonna survive? I want you to hear me it's into these thoughts. It's into these anxieties that Jesus speaks Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And as we look at Jesus saying these things, he's saying something to the effect of, I'm enough, I'm satisfying, I'm with you, I see you, and I'm still for you. And I think this is so significant because Jesus is the only one that can offer us the fullest and most refreshing sort of rest when we come to him. I found this so incredible when I was looking at, at Genesis and, and what Jesus did and comparing the two that if you, if you know this, that God in creation finished his work on Friday, sixth day, and he rested on the seventh day, which was Saturday. And in the same way, Jesus on Good Friday finished his cross work and cried out, it is finished. And on Saturday, he rested in the tomb. And on Sunday, he was raised again into the new creation, kicking off a new world. And in this new world, he's alive, and he's able to extend his promise to each and every one of us this morning. And so because Jesus was working for us, we can rest from our works. Because Jesus labored, we can live because he was heavy laden, we can cast our burdens on him. Because he, in his heart, was restless for us, we and our hearts can come and relax in him. And so I think Jesus this morning, his promise for you still remains, and that is, come. Come to me, all who are weary. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. If you would, Pray with me. Father, God of creation and God of all comfort, we ask that you would draw us to yourself for rest. Holy Spirit, as we take the bread and wine, let Jesus' words, you will find rest for your souls, resonate in our hearts. Jesus, we cease from striving we come to you and your table now for rest. Let our hearts rest in you from our restlessness. Through you we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.